0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com
1: slash four keys and download your free copy. When you run away from all this pain points and then there's still pain, you got to eventually look in the mirror and realize, oh my God, it's like, it's for me, you know? And I needed to figure that out. I needed to figure that out. And I eventually had to hit rock bottom before I asked for help. And I remember that, I I can see it vividly. That We were in this little Japanese house and I, I kept thinking, I should be happy. Like I have, I even have a Japanese house squeezed down to fit on a little Japanese lot. The kids had everything and the kids were beautiful little ones. And I remember just, I couldn't get off this sofa. I just would no energy. And I started to hear myself how I barked at the kids and barked at life behind closed doors, like everywhere else I was a smiley, happy person. And this thing where you, you're two people, and I remember feeling so low and hearing on the news, I understand enough Japanese to understand that, oh my God, I'm actually entertaining this as an option. This was my only tool, Srini, is they were talking on the news about this ocean road that, Women who were really depressed were driving down and driving right off the road. And even some were taking their kids. And I thought, oh my God, I turned it off. I thought, this is seriously something on my mind now.
2: That's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Corey, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: So happy to be here.
2: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your story uh, because you wrote in. You have uh, a book called Life in Full Colors, which we will talk about. But as you know from having been a listener, that's definitely not where we're going to start. So um, having read the book, I wanted to start by asking you, what birth order were you and what impact did that end up having on the direction that your life and your career and everything you've done has taken?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a good point because it has a really strong um, impact on the way that the trajectory of my life went. I'm number two of four four daughters in their family of four girls. And we. my dad jokes that they kept trying for the boy. <laughs> and then they got a dog and didn't check. She was a girl, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> poor dad. He's a he's a big big guy, and over the years, I tell you, he had to really soften up a bit with with having four girls in the and very very uh, creative, emotional, you know, uh, expressive girls in the family. So I was number two, and in the family, as happens in many families. There's stories that even get written about a family, even as you're going through the the, the years and the, the months together. And I think the story I took in anyways was that my oldest sister was the creative one. So I thought, oh, dang, I kind of envied that. <laughs> but I, I thought, well, that's taken. And then I had the sister below me was a natural athlete. And I was kind of you know, she was good at everything. One of those people is kind of could dabble in everything. But so I was kind of, uh, and then the youngest one, she found her way with like, she's amazing still with, she's very traditionalist. She loves cooking, you know, this sort of thing, loyal to good friends. She's always putting on um, creative ways to, she had these massive gingerbread decorating parties when we were kids growing up and even at young adults. And so she's always been creative with food. And I remember going through school and kind of being good at everything and getting through university and after one year, and I even like really good. I mean, I I was valedictorian and I didn't really have to try, like that kind of thing. But I got to university and I was just thinking, oh, really? Like there's nothing that really floats my boat. And the only thing that kind of pulled me was that, I was in general art, so there was a art design. And I thought, well, i like to push some paint around, yeah. so I'll take this. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like the guy is marking me horribly. Like I thought I was okay at this. And when it came to the end of term, he said, are you going to try for art school? And I said, no, you're you're my lowest mark in my average. You're bringing my average down. And he said, you're really got a gift. Like you're really got, you got a feel for this, he said. And I said, well, I don't see it. And he said, well, come meet me. And we sat down and we found that I got into, sat down with him and he could see things I couldn't see, but I could kind of hear him. And a lot of the art that he selected for portfolio with me is now what I ended up seeing so many people do when they work with me. And it's, I would say, therapeutic art or I'm studying, I'm a transpersonal art therapist, but it would be like art you make from Your emotions are from your soul, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. quite, um, it's not, let's just say it's quite messy if you look at it. It's not the horse, right? You know, running into the sunset. It's just a lot of emotion and energy and motion. So I find it interesting because I had decided that I had no creativity in me in contrast to my sister who, yeah, we actually all, all humans and all my sisters are highly creative, but we just express it in, totally different ways like i've come to realize that over time you know
2: yeah so I, I have to ask about your dad and you know being surrounded by four daughters and then ending up with a dog who's a woman too and this is something i've asked <laughs> oh uh, i'm sure you've, you've heard me ask a lot of people this but i mean four daughters you might have be, be able to shed some light on this for me uh, about this sort of bond between fathers and daughters that just seems to be you know really special like i you know when i look at my dad and my sister i realize like i'll never have that relationship with him that she does. And it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that it's nothing, it has nothing to do with me. It's just fathers and daughters. And I wonder what your own experience with that has been.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. There is something in us that I, as I've come to understand life and and have now my own children, you know, um, and see the connection between my daughter and my husband, you know, and think, and now as you're having me reflect on my own. Connection with Dad and I. There's just something there that um, now that I understand a little bit from working with different healers and different. As you know, I'm a, a creative healer, so I've I've received and I'm so curious about different healing modalities. One theme that I've often heard is that that connection is quite important because it sets us up for who we are seeking out. <laughs> you know, when we do eventually leave home and look for the partner that we're going to have. And so there is something beautiful in that, that like, for example, my dad and I had this real bond over music. He was, he's an engineer. He was an engineer. So he's very linear and logical thinking. But when he would get his guitar going, like that guy, he could just, I guess it's the math. (laughs) He could hear and compose and, and just let rip. Like, and there was this, beautiful um, connection we had, and we could play a lot of things by ear. So even though I had to take piano, I had way more fun just jamming with my dad. And it's so amazing now, like all these years later, we still have this thing where we'll be, when I go back to Canada and I'll visit them, We, we live overseas. So through the year we're overseas, but we come back and I can just hop in the truck with dad and he'll just start this music from God knows how many years ago. It could be some old God-awful <laughs> song or some old, oldie moldy tease him about, you know, Buddy Holly or something. And right away though, we're just singing together. And that's really important because we had a, quite a strained relationship, my dad and I, for a long time. And I didn't understand it, but he was, we were so much each other's mirror of the things that we probably didn't want to see in one another. And yet Mm -hmm. somehow through this life journey, there was this beautiful way that we learned to communicate without words, like with music. And now it's phenomenal because we've grown so much. Like he's, him and I have grown so much. We have a real closeness now, which I'm really grateful for, because it doesn't always have a happy ending when you have a strained Uh relationship with a parent. But we've worked hard at it. And I think it's honestly, I think there is something in that when you can connect in ways beyond words with someone, it's pretty Mm. phenomenal. But yeah, Yeah. I'm finding that with my sons now, like I have a different connection with my boys than my husband does with them. And it's just different. And I know what you mean. I can't really put my finger on it. But I really feel the sense of obligation and responsibility right now to be A really like amazing woman in their life because I'm kind of a, I'm aware that I'm this kind of sort of a template, (laughs) you know, like Mm. helping them to learn that around me, it's totally cool to be really angry or really freaked out or really sad. And I just meet it with non judgment and listen and just be really present with these guys and really honor them when they share, they feel free to share their emotions and things that a generation back or so, or even in some families now, it can't, it's just, there's no space for. So I always think about that when I'm with them, that I have the honor of being the first woman in their life. And I kind of see my husband, he's got such a beautiful way with my daughter and a great sense of humor with her. And they just have such this bond. And she, she just fell in love for the first time she's left home. And, and I saw, wow, the things she described in this first boyfriend They were the things I would describe in James.
3: So it's kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah.
2: when somebody who's who's listening to this hasn't had sort of the healthiest or most ideal template, whether it's a mother or a father, uh, and that relationship is strained, how do they – You know, find their way back to that, Uh, you know, other than music. I mean, are there other ways to do that? Uh, You know, because I I do. It's funny that you said, you know, there's this beautiful way to find bonding, you know, without using words. And the irony of of hearing that is, you know, I I was home after about a year or so because of the whole COVID situation. And uh, it turns out that my parents had picked up this interest in board games thanks to my sister. And one of those was Scrabble. And my sister said, yeah, you would actually be really good at this because you read so much. And it turns out that my dad was basically an avid Scrabble player who kicked our ass every single day (laughs) at Scrabble. Like We're like, we're going to beat you before we leave here. And we never did. Not once. And what was cool was that it was this great sort of bonding experience. I'd found common ground with my dad on something that in a million years, I was just like, oh, this is great. Like We can sit and play Scrabble. And we can talk and it was just this really beautiful thing like it was one of my of all the, th- the memories i had from that trip that was my my favorite part of it
1: oh that's gorgeous and i love it that your dad learned how to use this strategic triple square or triple <laughs> score tiles yeah no
2: <laughs> trust me like he'll take like a three letter word and get 60 points off of it and then you're like all right great we've lost
1: oh my god that's my sister shelly drives me nuts but it, they're so good but it's such a fun game. And oh, that's a really brilliant question. I think it's like, I think so as I hold that, I'm thinking about dad and I, like when we were, when I was young, I wasn't knowing. It was an intuitive thing that, okay. And as a child, you so want that connection. Like I can feel in you that you wanted that connection with your dad. And I remember having a similar thing with my mom, but she was just so... As many families, they just didn't have the tools, right? Like mom was just so stressed out and didn't know how to how to connect. She was really, I mean, with four girls back then, they didn't have dishwashers or, you know, like dad was really not home much. So it was a, a stressful time. So I remember having that longing to connect so that I think children are incredible because we seek that out. And when we find it, we lock into it, you know, it's like, okay, that works, but it doesn't change. We're still children when we're like, I'm almost 50 and I don't know, you, you went home and you're a grown adult and you felt that, oh, that joy. of it wasn't just the joy of Scrabble, it was like, we're totally connecting here, you know, through play, <laughs> a new way, you know, without having to have talk, try to try to connect. It was just natural. And I think yeah. that we actually all have that ability as humans, but when we meet one another, we tend to bring, like we bring the stories of of the last time we were together or all those times we're together. And so it's really hard to create something new from that frame, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, you, we always hear that beginner's mind and all those things, but there's wisdom in that. And how do we get there though? And that's why I do the work I do. It's you can't get there from looking outward. It's it takes more kind of inner quietening in and having the intention that I I just want to hold a, a new space with this person. You know, like when I have someone I'm struggling with, I will do inner work around there. And uh, off always, there's something that, that when I'm triggered by someone, there's something in there for me there's something that it's like activating in me. So I that's again why the ancients said these are your teachers because there's definitely within a family line. We're we're getting downloaded like when we're little ones. <laughs> you know with all the stuff, the the br- brilliant stuff, the beautiful mm-hmm. stuff and also the heavy stuff too. So we don't know the difference. We're just coming in fresh. So that's yeah. actually a beautiful way to do some kind of inner evolution around it and kind of inquire
2: yeah. sounds to me like you get a combination of brilliance beauty and bullshit
1: from your parents. <laughs> totally lots of bullshit in my <laughs> in my experience with myself and others but you know what's cool is like that's the stuff right like that's the stuff that we I tell people it's like the upcycle artist who takes crappy stuff or broken stuff and yeah. transforms that I really that's where I go for it, and I what, which is shocking, because I'm the kind of person who ran from that, like fight or flight. Corey ran, you know, for year for decades. So it took me a while, but I'm a slow learner. But once I start mm-hmm. getting it, and it works for me, then I I buy in, you know. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: Well, it's it's why I joke that I think all of my writing is an attempt to have a conversation with my mom that she'll never be able to have with me in person.
1: Yeah. Amen. I totally hear you. And how gorgeous. Like this is the cr- amazing thing. It's like we have reams of uh stuff creatively flow from us if we can um just allow ourselves not to get t- stuck on the pain points or st- you know, and start to start to widen our understanding that okay, they lot that most of the stuff is really unconscious by them. They were downloaded too, you know, and Mm. even worse, like they didn't have Oprah. They didn't have, I remember mom saying, we didn't have Oprah. (laughs) I laughed at her. But then I thought, I said, what did you guys have? Like, what was the beginning? I'm curious, you know? And she said, I remember there was a guy on, and Sheena, you and I both grew up in Edmonton. Maybe you remember this, this radio station, CFCW, or was it CFRN? Well, one of these kind of am radios you know and she said the first awareness i had about you know kind of something a bit more conscious about parenting was uh, through nutrition that's where the first started for it It was just straight through like when you think body mind spirit it was started right at body you know don't have two liters of coke on the table at breakfast (laughs) that's bad for you (laughs) like i just think wow you know so when she shared that it kind of Again, the heart opens with more empathy because you think, "Wow!" Like, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that you know, I when I even when I'm writing my books and, and talk about the things that I do here, and you know, think about the the advice that my parents gave me, I always have to remember it's based on context. You know, they grew up in. A situation where their outcomes in life were binary because they came from India. It was either poverty or security. So yeah. no wonder they encouraged us to pursue security. It makes complete sense. And yes. I, I think it, it took me a long time to to actually acknowledge the validity of what they were saying.
1: Hmm. It's so true. And that takes some growing up and getting space yeah. from it too, right? Don't you find <laughs> yeah. like the further we, like the as we got space and then we live some life, we start to realize, wow, oh, this is what they're trying to do. And the similitude in our stories, you know, though my, your parents are first generation immigrants. My parents came through as children of um, immigrants who came over and really that, still ran through their line, that survival mode. And yeah, like you, you think very logical. When I said, I'm going to go into art school, my engineer mm-hmm. dad was devastated, right? Like who, why, what you, what are you talking about? And I internalized so much of that. I didn't realize I ate it all up. So I was never secure when I, I never felt confident in that journey, you know, because yeah. I just thought, well, this is just doomed, but it's all I like to do, you know? So it was a, it's funny as I got space from it though and saw so many ways to utilize that creativity and moved on and matured a bit. Then it started to make sense. Oh, dad was just concerned. Like he wanted to make sure I thrive, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into the book, I want to ask you one more uh, question uh, about family, just out of more curiosity. Uh, Having only grown up with one sibling, I always wonder what it's like to have multiples. Uh, Which of your sisters are you closest to and why?
1: I love questions this is why I wrote you you know (laughs) they're really fun um yeah that's such a great question because you do you kind of jump around like at different seasons of my life I was at different intensities of closeness with my sisters but right now us two middle ones are pretty tight and I will say it's now when I look at the trajectory of our life it's there's a, there is the most similitude right now. So I think it's part of that. And, um, but yet our personalities are quite different. Like she's very, uh, more the quiet one along this comes alongside you and I would be more gregarious. Yet we both have an introverted side, but why we're really close is, um, we can really, get each other. Sometimes I almost feel like it's like those twins, you know, how suddenly she's living over in Hawaii and I'm over here in Belgium. And maybe that's it. We've left home and we really stayed overseas. So we have that understanding. We both have three kids and we both are on a similar path, but not the same. So she she's connecting and healing with people, also an energy healer, but her other side is through occupational therapy. And so it's like, Again, the athlete, she just is out there on taking kids who are, you know, got sensory issues or maybe autism, or she's got them out on paddle boards or trailing their fingers in the water, visiting turtles, like using nature and movement and sport to really help balance people's nervous systems and bring them out of that survival fight or flight. And I, I'm doing it in another format with the art therapy, mm-hmm. but. I think that's really nice that we can connect and we just get each other. And you just—it's yeah. like you know those friends who just get you. That's where Shelley and I are at. Yeah,
2: <clears throat> yeah. I I always wonder. The other thing I always wonder about is age gap because you know I, I noticed that my sister and I had a five year age gap. And okay. when you're a teenager, when you're in high school, a kid in seventh grade seems like somebody who has nothing in common. So that age gap feels massive. Then as you get older five years seems like nothing. You know, I, 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 I know. would happily date a girl who's a woman who's five years younger than me with yeah. no, issues. no issues. I would date somebody who's younger than my sister with no problem at this point.
1: Isn't that true? I know That's it. We, I, it's suddenly that gap just doesn't matter anymore. And it's just that, do we resonate? Do we get each other? And so, yeah, I, I find that. And that's really cool about sisterhood for that. Like I think about what you just said, it was so nice growing up, I had, my older sister was kind of like, one of her like ways was that she would defend the honor of the family. And I was a really like, oh, sensitive kid. So if someone was, there was a bully in the, I don't know, in the playground or something, she'd be my defender. So there was times where I just was like her shadow, you know? So it is, I, I should celebrate the gift that there's... There was so many different moments where I could bond differently with my sisters and um, have different closeness through, throughout our journey together. And that still might change again, right? So right now, Shelley and I are both have three teenagers and all these things in common, right? Living overseas. But who knows what will happen next. But you're right. Over time, that age gap starts to not matter so much.
2: Yeah. Well, so what has been the trajectory of your life and career that has led you to doing the work that you do and to writing this book? I mean, I know that you lived all over the world. So how did you get here?
1: Yeah. How did I get here? Yeah, I guess it was now that I look back on it and look like this living all over the world. And I've already mentioned a few times that my thing, my, my way of handling, um, stuff in life that was heavy, it was just light, <laughs> get out of there. I look back and think, I wonder if that's partly what propelled me to say yes to when my husband and I first decided to not just travel overseas, but to live overseas. And when I went, I think there was a part of me, we went, our first stop was Japan. And there there's quite a difference in culture between <laughs> Alberta, Canada, and, you know, Yokohama, Japan. And I think when I look back intuitively, it was um, I need to get some space from this family, you know, because there was a lot of. Uh, now I see that we we're highly emotional, and there was just not a lot of tools for how to deal with the uh, good chunk of dysfunction that's in. Lot of families. And so, what I just thought, I was so hyper insensitive to everybody else's emotions on top of it. I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't have tools. So, I think I almost started a hero's journey or like heroine's journey, <laughs> as uh, Joseph Campbell speaks of, Um, organically just saying, let, yeah, this opportunity to go to Japan and teach some English, let's go. And when we got there, we ended up uh, my husband and I had jobs unfolded that allowed for us to stay much longer than the one-year ticket we went over with. I think the first time was seven years. And that's when I had that, what we just talked about earlier, is Shrini, is that distance from family and started to see that, oh my God, like, even though I thought I ran away from this, I've just recreated it in Japanese form. <laughs> like, like I, you know, I was starting to have certain conflict with a coworker and thought, oh, this is just like my sister who I have a lot of intense, you know, conflict with. Or This guy, this, this, my boss is reminding me of my dad. Like I started to notice these sort of things. And um bit by bit, I, I just got really down. Like I started to actually go through anxiety and panic attacks and, eventually started having children over there and and that spiraled me into depressions because i thought wait a minute if i don't sort this one out i'm just putting this all on them to recreate that i really i was in a low really low point like this the hell that i'm going through and that was really hard to face because when you run away from all this pain points and then there's still pain You got to eventually look in the mirror and realize, oh my God, it's like, it's for me, you know? And I needed to figure that out. I needed to figure that out. And I eventually had to hit rock bottom before I asked for help. And I remember that, I I can see it vividly. We were in this little Japanese house and I, I kept thinking, I should be happy. Like I have... They even have a Japanese house. Like a lot of our friends were living in a teeny tiny aparto, they're called. And through the job that we had, we had this, okay, it was a, a California kit, they called it. But it was a, a California house squeezed down to fit on a little Japanese lot. But it, the kids had everything. And the kids were beautiful little ones. And I remember just, I couldn't get off this sofa. I, I just would, no energy. And I started to bark at hear myself, how I barked at the kids and barked at life behind closed doors, like everywhere else, I was a smiley, happy person. And that in itself showed me, wait a minute, I'm recreating this. And this thing where you, you're two people and now I'm putting the same stuff that I felt I experienced as a kid on my kids. And I remember feeling so low And hearing on the news, I understand enough Japanese to understand that, oh my God, I'm actually entertaining this as an option. This was my only tool, Shini is they were talking on the news about this ocean road that women who were really depressed were driving down and driving right off the road. And even some were taking their kids. And I thought, oh my God, I turned it off. I thought, this is seriously something on my mind now. And... I panicked and I called one of my sisters and I'll never forget it. It was huge for me because I could never admit things. Remember, I ran away from things. I remember telling her, oh, I am really struggling. Like, I'm terrified. Like, this is my only tool. And she just said, you got to stop. Like, you got to stop running around. I was running around helping people. I was on committees, like really trying to convince myself I was okay by overdoing life and over giving to everyone else except me. And uh, she just talked me, kept me safe on the phone. And she said, you need to, you need to get care and you need to find the right person to listen to what you're going through. And incredibly, I did find the right person. And that was the beginning of everything because I didn't know it. It's like amazing how that happens. I phoned. Yeah. You know, and found this um, woman who, she's not an art therapist, but she was a musician. So she got me and she said, you think you have to change everything and you're so swamped by everything. But Corey, it's like a baby mobile over the head head of your baby. And she said, when you go in the bedroom at night, move the mobile, you don't whack the whole mobile. You just choose one piece. You just got to take care of you, the piece of you. And then everything else else will start a upward trajectory, and she encouraged me to just pick up a paintbrush, slow down t- stop everything with the giving, just let get up a little earlier, light a candle or do something you know anything meditative, and just start with some silence and see who I am and what do i need and That was huge, you know, and after that, all the teacher teachings and the books and And the just right people came into my life to eventually show, you know, start this journey of where I shifted from there to literally getting on the train from her. And she said, you've got to turn everything upside down. And would you believe it? That's the moment I got on the train and it was the earthquake that hit (laughs) Japan. And I had a, pretty powerful moment in that earthquake because it just was, to me, a mirror of my life. It was like everything was shaking and quaking. We were trapped underground for a few hours in the train. And and I just thought, this is horrible. But there was finally, within me, I accessed this incredible quiet that she was only just talking about in her office, but I had no idea what she was talking about. And then I accessed it and I realized, oh my God, there's so much more to each person than on the outer world. And that started me making a promise to the universe that if I get out of here, I've always thought about learning art therapy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it and I'm, I'm going to go up and help people with it. I didn't even have training. I just had this knowing, you know, and that's what happened.
3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah.
2: Mm, wow. So I, one of the things I wonder about is how dealing with personal challenges differs across cultures, particularly because you've been exposed to so many Like in Indian culture, we don't talk about this stuff. We sweep a lot of mental health issues under the rug. Nobody will openly admit that they see a therapist. You know, I for a long time was taught that therapy was for crazy people until I found myself, you know, in a therapist's office and wondered why I hadn't started doing this sooner. Uh, But in a place like Japan, I wonder what is, how is it different from here when people are dealing with personal challenges like Western versus Eastern culture?
1: Yeah, that's such a brilliant question. And I totally hear you. I mean, look at me. I had to get so low before I even called someone. I knew I had trouble. And people, even in art school, my profs were like, you'll study art therapy one day, the way you feel people's energy and see people in their paint. And I remember that they have the same thought as you. All the therapists I know are messed up. Like, <laughs> like I had some story about that, right? And I, as though I knew a bunch, but I did have a neighbor who was, and I was like, "Oh, she's weird." I, I just had ma- judged so much. So, yeah, it was powerful that when I did start studying art therapy, when I got into um, the training, I was living in Japan, and so all my practicums were there, and I was curious about that because for sure they're very. I mean. It's very closed and you don't display your emotions and all of these things. But I noticed, and uh, my professor said this to me, she said, whoever you are working with, it's because, again, like I talked about that mirroring, there's something in there that you're still working or learning too. So be humble about it. Be aware that it's a reciprocal energy exchange. I was grateful she did that. So. You know how I told you I was always so good at kind of hiding or running away or being kind of shy about things. I think it was by a big design, divine design that I started this in Japan. So that when it came time to find, to run, you know, one on ones or group sessions, or I started in a preschool actually. And then what happened was the children were having such powerful transformation that it just organically happened that some mothers said, could you do a workshop for us? And the mother who asked me was actually Japanese, but she Mm -hmm. had lived in Canada for many years. So she she did say that, that helped her because she had experienced that cross-cultural living because Mm -hmm. there were other Japanese mothers who came and actually all sorts of cultures were at that workshop. And that was expressed that when we do Flow even the colors out like basically I set up a buffet table for them of colors and crayons and whatever we keep it very childlike and simple and the the point is to really set up a, a space where people feel safe to express. But I did notice that I had to give extra kind of support to those who are from cultures like India, like Japan uh any culture, a lot of Asian cultures, you need to save face, you know, that's a big um piece of their culture. So the culture. So um just saying keeping things very simple and, and really um encouraging people who felt overwhelmed by it. there's so many things on that table. There's glitter glue and there's all sorts of things just to say, listen, if it helps, why don't you do like one color that really lights you up? and just keep it all monochromatic or just you can choose from these five colors you know almost like we would do a child who's feeling overwhelmed with oh i don't know how to what what to do with all these okay why don't you just start with this toy you know play with these toys over here some kids get overwhelmed and the, but yet interestingly that there was a few japanese women who from that first workshop said wow like there's so much inside of us that culturally, we've never had an experience like this. Like we can't express this. And I think it helped that I was from another culture, a culture that, Mm. you know, they, they knew that they were safe with me to express. And that was really an honor. I was so, I'd lived in Japan long enough to know what an honor that was to say to them, okay, let you create the group. So of course they created the group with people who they felt safe with. So already there's that safety. We have to feel safe to flow out our emotions and our own you know, colors and and our own feelings and talk about our stories behind them. And it was gorgeous. There was only three of them and we would meet once a week. And seriously, by only even three or four weeks in, there was no difference. They were so liberated to be able to speak about things that they could never, like you said, they wouldn't still never be able to speak. Their mom or sibling, with right, and so they formed, in a sense, a new culture <laughs> with which to with a culture within their culture, and that's what's so incredible to me that humans have this capacity to even burst through bars like that because that's a brave move, you know. But mm-hmm. a, it's all about trust that's having yeah. that space, trust in that space, yeah.
2: Mm. So, you open the book by saying the process I'm going to teach you in this book is how to take any personal challenge you experience and shift it to create something beautiful. So let's let's talk about that because um to me when I read that I said okay there's my title for this interview. Um hmm. and often when we're in the midst of a challenging experience the last thing that's on our mind is shifting it into something beautiful because we're in so much pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So how do you begin that process of shifting something that's challenging or painful into something beautiful?
1: Oh my gosh, I love that question. The first the first place uh the first thing that I heard in my heart that came out was you just got to get to the point where you're tired of getting derailed by the pain first. Like this didn't come this book couldn't come through me. I even tried to write this book five years earlier, but I I tried to write the book as Corey, you know? <laughs> like I I had to live so much life, um, and pain, experience pain, in order to to get to the point where I was like, there's gotta be a way to work with this, you know? And so I think that's it. Is you in a way we gotta honor like pain in our life and not right away think, um bad about it or we would get so and I mentioned this in the book that we get messages growing up that you know emotions like <sighs> gratitude or, or joy or or love they're they're okay but oh my gosh if you have some good disgust or shame or anger like hide that you know and so right away though there is a perfect recipe for pain because we just don't process them and we shove them down or we hide them or we we add layers of them and we feel bad about them so there's got to be some living that life and recognize and recognition that okay this stuff is just not serving me and Mm. then things like seeing patterns like remember i mentioned when i went over to japan i started to kind of go okay there's your family in japanese form which was Really important, and it was really painful. And relationships were kind of like this again. I'm, i This is happening. This happens all the time to me. And hearing that victim language enough that you eventually deciding. Wait a minute. I said, I'm tired of being a victim. So there's got to be a kind of. I'm tired of this. To just say maybe there's another way. So I really honor the whole story, like the whole, I love my whole life story. And I love hearing people's whole life stories, like, because, yeah, you kind of got to go off-roading for a while to realize, I wouldn't mind a smoother ride now, you know?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate the fact that you mentioned this whole idea of honoring your emotions because I one of my favorite lines from the book uh, was when you say trying to be positive all the time is simply not sustainable, nor is it honest. Most of all, it will only bring trouble when those heavier emotions get piled up so high that they start to overflow. And I appreciated that because it it flies in the face of so much of what we're told from aspirational media is to look for the silver lining. You know, uh, there's always mm. a bright side. And the truth is, there isn't always a silver lining to certain situations.
1: No. No. In fact, that's real life. You know, I mean, it's like so gorgeous when you can just sit with something. Like I can think of having teenagers. Like I I just think of sometimes I I see them, like they're just going through all of that, right? To tell them, put on a happy face, honey. <laughs> Oh my God. Like, do you remember that angst? And and now we can look at brain scans. Like there's no difference between a toddler's brain scan and a teenager's brain scan. And then a person who's really struggling with like severe, like, well, back in the day, we'd lock them up because their brains are developing at like crazy rates. And it's just, you can feel, they say, I feel like I'm going crazy. So I I used to hate that when people would say, oh, just smile or you, you're you mm. not mad. It's like, but I am. You should see how mad I am. And you know, that's one of the most brilliant memories I have is when I was first starting, when I had a physical studio and I remember a woman who came in and she was enraged and she had every reason to be. There were some circumstances in her story that were like, I was enraged listening to it. and. She just tore, uh, so she just tore into her creative flow. Like I, in a, in a beautiful, but like powerful way, but just knowing she'd worked with me enough, she just said, I need this brush and I need a bucket of black paint. And she just painted a wall, like a, a way that I've never seen someone move, you know, like, and that's what we're doing with this sort of, we're not like we're moving heavy trapped emotion out and i just honor that but there's no way i could let her uh, like welcome her or witness that or make her feel okay with that if i wasn't comfortable with anger or <laughs> rage you know and my god that's where it's as humans we need to be so real about this because there's great creative power in that after she let that loose she was done and she was complete but she's gone on and done some incredibly creative things in her life. And I think how tragic if she wasn't able to flow that out and if it's turned into this block of rage inside of herself, which usually we directed at herself, and then she shut down, as we often do when we have something that and often disease comes out of that. You know, people get sick when they don't um flow these sort of things out. And it it's just such an honor to tell people you can own every emotion, especially those heavy ones, because nobody taught us this in school, right, Srini? We didn't learn this in <laughs> in grade school, how to handle stuff of life. We, you know, we learn all the maths and we learn all the, all the cre- we did some creative writing, but no one said you can actually put your anger right into that page and it'll go right out of you. I would love everyone to know this, that it's okay and not judge themselves for it or think that they're not a a positive person. To me, that's the most positive step anyone could take for their whole health.
2: Mm. So there's something you say, uh, where you say less explored and often not integrated as our feeling mind, which is unpredictable, heart-based, imaginal, and a seeker of inner truth because it's so opposite to our logical thinking mind. It's often disregarded and seen as too chaotic and unreliable to give any serious attention to. And I, I think that struck me in particular because, uh, one of my, uh, friends, husband told me recently, he said, you know, I read your book and I just met him and he said, seems like you've got this rational thing down to a science. And he said, but what I think is your bridge, you know, the thing that will bridge the gap between that and true mastery is intuition. And uh, it's funny because I didn't disagree with him. And at the same time, I know that I am overly logical. Everything that I do is is basically um, the byproduct of systems and processes. And at the same time, you know, I, I, there is intu- intuition involved in this. I mean, it's intuition that causes me to say yes to a podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so how do we find the balance between those two things or how do we use both?
1: Yeah, because we need both, right? Like we got it. We got to have systems, especially someone like me who's tends to, I tend to go the opposite to you, I'm on the imaginal realm, right? So I really need structures and systems to help me get anything done and um, to, to have somewhere to flow that into and, and to hold it, that creativity. So I think it's so important you bring this up that because we tend to as not everybody but most people tend towards one side or the other, and to understand both are essential. And there is actually a little exercise I have in that book where you can kind of map it and get it, or like you know just do a free write and get a sense of where where do I tend to um, allow for that chaotic wonder and just go and impulsively and where in my life am I more a structured person and need to organize and and what's I've what I've noticed is sometimes I do a little check-in over time and I see that oh yeah I'm evolving that part of me like I tend to be the one who's kind of running the systems and in our travel as a family or what have you. And I used to just like think, oh my God, that's just something I can't do all these (laughs) timings and these. So I literally will take things that are out of my comfort zone and say, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that one. So we can start by kind of assessing where we're at and going into a bit of like observing ourselves and how we, Yeah, I really didn't realize how little structure I had when I first was starting learning about the feeling mind and the thinking mind. But then it made sense because I think, oh, it can be so frustrating to people because I'm showing up eh, around 10 o'clock, you know, like not, depending on the culture in Japan, that's lethal. Like you got to be on time man. the trains are like to the minute. So <laughs> I had I giggled that look at I threw myself into a culture that taught me structure is important too, core. But then at what happened too though is I was so shut down on my feeling mind that I wasn't at all integrated. And when you get the two going, it's like a hum. It's like, wow, that's the motor rolling. Because and you just said that you I believe you must have you are have your a good chunk of your intuition going from what I Feel and and sense from listening to you and just being with you right now because your questions, you're kind of like, I want to feel into this. Like any that would be really neat for you to break it down too for yourself and just kind of say, yeah, where do I feel like I go into that just curious childlike self? And where do I feel like I have to be more, say, okay, we got to do X, Y, Z now by this time, you know? and be, And then if you sense that, you know, I want to be a bit more Playful and a little bit more intuitive. Maybe I can try doing, you know, the, this sort of project, all more from a, a flow state of just not overly planning. Just have our, I say in workshops, have a loosely held plan, but then let that thinking mind rest because generally we use that thinking mind way too much in the Western world, anyways. And just tell it, I love you, but just sit over there. <laughs> like I'll literally tell it, take that seat over there. The next little while, I'm just five years old. And I'll I'll just even tell people, I'm just going to squish you down. Imagine I have a magic wand. You're five now. Just see what happens. And incredible things will happen when we allow that childlike part of us out. But we just have to feel comfortable and give ourselves the space to do it.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of space, I think that that's where i I want to wrap this up. Um, you know, you say that each of us needs spaces of solitude in our loud and busy world, and nothing lasting will shift within you unless you do something new and form gaps of gorgeous quiet in your day, structured especially for you and you know i I think part of why that struck me is because we just finished the launch of a course on on how to manage your attention more effectively because I just I know that of all the things that will get somebody from where they are to where they want to be, the ability to manage their attention, particularly in the world that we live in, is invaluable. Mm. Um, But yet people, I think, have a very, very hard time with this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because everything in the world is saying a totally opposite message. And yet that's where our power lies. Look at me. I had to get like manhandled. I feel like the universe had to... manhandle me and stick me in an earthquake to experience that inner silence. Like I had just been to a beautiful you know, therapist before trying to tell me about it. And I, it's one thing to be told about it, but it's, it's another thing to actually access it. And I would say if you're, if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I know I got meditate meditator. I got to have quiet. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, and that's partly why I love kind of, inviting people to be a kid and just doodling again. It can be that easy that you just pick up a pen and just, it, you can have a moving uh, meditation going on of quiet, or you could just be s- staring out the window and watching leaves moving or, you know, but just whatever floats your boat, like ask, even ask yourself, what would it look like? If we pose a question, that That thinking mind loves to look for an answer, answer, like a heat-seeking missile. So you can just put it an intention that, what would it look like for me to carve some of that gorgeous quiet out for me? And it's not the same for everybody. And for some people, like my son just started riding his bike to school through the forest. So he's a mover. He's not someone who would sit, but it gives him so much Energy and he, I can see his mood when he comes home. He's a different person, different teen than when he's just flat and on the school bus again. So micro moments like that, you'll see and how you know it works is you're lifted up and your energy is, is like buoyant so that you're, you're fired up for life and ideas are starting to stream to you. It pays back huge dividends. You got to trust that process.
2: Wow! Wow! Um, well, I have absolutely loved talking to you, and I have one final question for you, which I know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Yeah, and it's back to what we were just kind of referring to. I, I see visually, Srini, when you ask me questions, I see pops of images come through. <laughs> that's how I, I right away, I just saw a hand on a heart, and I think that's it. Like. Each one of us has this heart full of incredible intelligence and creativity that is just waiting to be mined and accessed. And I'm so grateful you guys have created that program, by the way. Um, it's so important because now if ever we, we really, we become uh, unmistakable when we recognize that preciousness that we are and the unique expression of life that we are and how do we access that the moment you just stop you can take a micro breath and just put your hand on your heart and just give yourself that that time and space and listen because there's usually something there it might just be a word like you're doing great <laughs> or maybe it's call so and so like you get so much information from the heart and that will make you unmistakable if you're moving with your heart and thinking, mind and coherence. Wow. Look out.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and sharing your story and insights with our listeners. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work and your book and everything else that you're up to?
1: Yeah. Everything you need to know about me, uh, and all my colors (laughs) are on my website, creating healing with Corey. Dot com. And Corey is, it's very Canadian. It's spelt like, sorry, just take off the S and stick on a C. Mom literally sounded out my name when she heard it. <laughs> so at creating healing with CreatingHealingWithCorey.com there, you can see all sorts of, there's free resources. Like even if you're listening and thinking, this sounds interesting, but I don't know if it's for me. You can try, test drive stuff out. There's free. Free PDFs. I have different things I share on my YouTube that show you, like if you're angry, how does how do you process that? Um, and there's all the information about my book, Life in Full Colors, which is available on Amazon. And I do monthly courses too. So if you feel like oh, the book sounds good, but I need support going through that. Every month, I flow a course, online course, through which is based around the book, and you can access it on my website. And then what we do is we have a live. At the end of each week, I have a live Zoom creative circle where we literally, in real time, put whatever hiccup, challenge, or whatever roadblock you're going through, we process it together in the art and just give you any support you need along the way.
2: Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.